Welcome back to the fourth episode of Research Recap. Today's theme is brain evolution. We're looking at variation across vertebrae, of prominence of regions, how are these structures changing as animals become more advanced or more specialized. Because of course, even within species or uh, within families on a phylogenetic tree, there are still variations because of these adaptations for different features. So, this is beyond size. We're looking at variation across species within major groups of the prominence of brain regions. And within major vertebrate groups, this relates to lifestyle and demands of that lifestyle. So, for an easy example, if we're thinking about an animal that is dependent on light for vision, then the um, brain region accompanying that specific trait is going to be more prominent than in a species that doesn't rely on light when it comes to uh, visual cues. A key feature when it comes to comparative brain evolution and something that has made behavioral understanding within mammals really interesting and fun to compare is the brain evolution of birds. And when it comes to animal behavior, I have a personal bias and interest and fascination for passerforms or songbirds, passerines. Included in that are corvids, so our very clever little uh, crows. In today's research article that I will be recapping, I have a publication from 2020, another 2019, my apologies, and they are discussing a comparative analysis of the dopaminergic innervation of executive caudal nidopallium in pigeon, chicken, zebra finch, and carrion crow. So the pigeon and chicken are going to serve as our control in this study, and the zebra finch, of course, a very well-known songbird in the animal behavior world, and the carrion crow are fascinating, curious, and overall impressive little critter here. So when we're looking at the dopaminergic innervation, we're looking at mammalian equivalents um, of the brain region, the prefrontal cortex, which has high dopaminergic neuron density. And comparing that to the nidopallium caudolateral, which is the NCL versus the PFC in humans and mammals. So the NCL is going to be the primary focus of this study looking at across these four different types of birds. So the study aims to describe the trajectory of the NCL in each of these birds, and they used immunohistochemistry to map the dopaminergic innervation and executed a gallia stain to visualize the dorsal tract that runs between the NCL and the acropelium. So diving into a little bit of history and introduction before getting to the experiment, a crucial function of executive structure 
of these key features. So when we're thinking of the prefrontal cortex, you typically think of um, higher cognitive thinking or kind of the executive functioning. And so with the NCL kind of serving a similar role, the crucial functioning of executive structure is to gate, maintain, and manipulate incoming information and subsequently initiate appropriate actions. So the, knee, the key neurotransmitter involved in these processes is dopamine, hence why we're looking at dopaminergic pathways. They observed several parallels in the dopaminergic architecture of the prefrontal cortex and the NCL. And both structures, they found, are strongly innervated by dopaminergic fibers that arise from the mesenphalic ventral tegmental area, the VTA, and substantia nigra, the SN. Looking at previous neuroscience understandings, those two regions, when I hear them or see them, I think of the brain reward pathway. And so kind of learning behavior and cognitive functioning, which will be really interesting later on when we discuss more about the crow. And of course, I forgot to mention the big idea of this course. So looking at brain evolution, relating back to episode one, this kind of uh, ties into the sensory and perception. It can also tie into reproduction because with songbirds in particular, and what the authors will note later on as being kind of a challenge when it comes to comparing these brain regions, um, song complexity, repertoire size, and overall uh, neuromuscular control over these songs are really crucial in reproductive success of these birds. So going back to the introduction and kind of background info of this paper. Looking at a functional level, the prefrontal cortex and NCL have been implicated in a range of behaviors that recruit self-control, working memory, and cognitive flexibility, which are those core concepts of ex executive functioning. Previous literature have shown that lesion and pharmacological blockade studies have demonstrated um, that ablation of these executive structures interfere with performance on spatial and non-spatial working memory tasks. And um, additionally, similarities between the PFC and NCL have shown a high degree of similarity in the neural code on both single neuron as well as neuronal population levels, namely a subset of neurons in both structures that have specifically increased their firing rate during delay period in working memory tasks. And that was looking at pigeons, comparing them to rats and monkeys, and other um, lab models for cognitive functioning. And then again, they kind of bring up this idea of representing reward or value. So when it comes to working memory tasks, um, if you think of just like Pavlov's dog and uh, having a stimulus, rewarding that cue and associating these two positive things, or in some cases, a positive negative thing, or whatever the experiment may be, but rewarding that task uh, ensures better encoding or repetition or kind of a strong familiarity with that task. So that increases his cognitive function. 
and tying dop- dopamine back into that idea of working memory because of this brain reward pathway. So it's providing a bigger loop of understanding. So despite the differences in uh, gross morphological layout, the PFC and NCL are very similar and key structures involved in cognitive control and achieve this in a highly comparable manner, which is just fascinating to think about because um, the prefrontal cortex is something that's been noted in mammals to be kind of the key feature of allowing us to be higher cognitive beings. Um, But in the bird world, where a pigeon is not viewed to be as smart as a crow, there is still this key region of the brain that is important for spatial learning, working memory, or other uh, sort of higher functioning cognitive tasks. So in order to investigate the NCL as a structure across birds, or whether they're confronted with a variety as observed in mammals, um, because of course human prefrontal cortex is a little more impressive than a rat or um, a domestic pet or whatever other mammal you can think of. Um, And that's why there's that songbird model in there, like I had mentioned before, with the variation, because application of cognitive functions is different depending on uh, the environment, the conspecifics that are involved in, predatory stressors, etc. They delineated the boundaries of the NCL based on aminohistochemical stains against tyrosine hydroxylase. This is important because tyrosine hydroxylase is a rate-limiting enzyme in the production of dopamine. So by staining against that, they're able to see uh, dopamine concentration. And so areas that were defined having the highest TH positive or tyrosine hydroxylate positive fiber density um, combined with the presence of characteristic what they called baskets um, which are those fibers that are coiled multiple times around an unstained pericarium they tried to recognize those and describe how these differences in uh, production of dopamine these differences in density of dopamine we're able to explain the trajectory of NCL in the pigeon, chicken, zebra finch, and carrion crow, thus allowing them to verify whether there needs to be a species-specific approach to understanding the NCL in birds, or if it can be that the NCL can be um, kind of general amongst birds and compared to other species. So just looking at a broader picture of the NCL versus the prefrontal cortex. So diving into materials and methods, they analyzed two homing pigeons, six different chickens, five zebra finches, and four carrion crows, each of which were obtained by either a breeder or the crows were obtained in the wild. They followed all ethical guidelines with uh, the carrion crows being in the wild. Once they were captured, they were immediately anesthetized and dissected in field um, to preserve the brain. Whereas the lab animals did not have to be dissected in a field, <laughs> they were done in 
a um, lab-controlled environment. Because the pigeon has been studied most often to analyze diverse properties of the NCL, the two individuals that they used, the two homing pigeons that they used, were functional as a control for the method of analysis. The other species that were selected uh, were there to represent phylogenetic diversity, variation in cognitive performance, and differences in brain morphology. So with phylogenetic positioning, the chickens represent the most basal group. And then looking at the crows and zebra finches, these are relatively modern uh, passerforms or songbirds, which as I had mentioned before and what I have found most fascinating in the animal behavior world is the accomplishments and complexities and great differences between all of the birds in the passerform world. Whether it's a zebra finch that's very dependent on song for courtship, or the red oven bird, which is just a fascinating creature, using their uh, song ability to kind of combat and um, honestly signal an alarm for brood parasitism, which is such a cool topic. Really interesting to look at how um, there's a co-evolutionary arms race amongst different birds. So looking at the carrion crow, member of the corvids, it's considered on par with non-human primates. And this is something that we've discussed in class, um, looking at how impressive the cognitive tasks that these crows can accomplish. But overall, not much is known about the cognitive capacities of zebra finches because the majority of research is done on their song system, which is still really fascinating looking at repertoire size, song complexity, song preferences, female mate choice, and all of that. But here we're looking specifically at our immunohistochemistry and comparisons of dopamine in these regions. And so in pigeons, the NCL is the area of highest TH plus fiber density. And they also have a high density of um, the baskets representing TH plus fibers that coil around. Thus, these TH fiber densities and occurrence of baskets are the most important indicators to identify the NCL histological. Histologically. And so, because they're using the pigeon as a control, these are the foundations that will allow for um, further conclusions on the analyses. The gallius staining was used um, to understand the connection between the, the DA tract because it's heavily myelinated. And so, using the stain, it can easily be visualized because of the silver impregnation onto these features. So a chemical stain to just make things clearer and prettier to see. Additionally, they used a heat map as a guideline to closely analyze the areas of highest fiber density in a qualitative manner, making it easier to kind of digest these differences instead of focusing solely on the statistics quantitative measures. 
And so what they found after doing uh, numerous extensive analyses, which if you have the chance to look at the figure, or at the paper, the figures are really cool and fascinating and clear to kind of understand and look at at least, even if there isn't a strong um, digestion of the information there, which to be honest, I was not fully confident on, but the figures themselves are still really cool to look at. Overall, the study investigated the location and trajectory of the NCL in each of the animals and uh, did so based on the tyrosine hydroxylase fiber density and innervation patterns. And they state that this is a sound first step to investigate the possible diversity of this region. So the analysis showed that the location requires species-specific approaches, especially for the passerforms, not only because uh, literature in the passerform world is focusing more on song behavior or reproductive-related behavior or migratory-related behavior, but also because there was greater variation when it came to staying for uh, dopaminergic systems. So the two passerforms, the zebra finch and the corvid, or the, the carrion crow, um, showed a strikingly different pattern. In both, they were able to identify um, four different areas that had high distinct fiber densities that spanned from medial to lateral across the entire uh, caudal medial pallium. But none of those areas have been described before, and so they were termed based on their topography as dorsal, medial, and ventral. Anatomically, that uh, supports several lines of evidence of a dense dopaminergic projection from the uh, mesencephalic VTA-SN regions that are kind of involved in the brain award pathway innervation from the secondary sensory areas of each modality, and downstream efferents to premotor and motor structures. So there's more going on that induces this variability. Compared to the chicken, our most basal uh, species here, and the pigeon, which is serving as our control. So looking at the dopamine modulated functions of the NCL, the original delineation of the NCL and pigeons uh, was based on the criterion of strong dopaminergic innervation arising from the, the mesencephalic. The criterion originated from mammalian research where the dense dopaminergic innervation was considered a defining feature of the prefrontal cortex and then compared to the um, NCL equivalent region in birds. So the dopaminergic system is highly conserved across vertebrae and can across vertebrates and can find a comparable um, dopaminergic architecture in both regions. There's also, and the author suggests, that a large body of research supports the notion of dopamine as critical as critical for uh, facilitation of executive functioning and goal-directive behavior here. So, in pigeons, um, they're primar primarily used to understand working memory 
and that's why the NCL was kind of the focus here because it's crucial for working memory and this was um, further corroborated by single unit recordings that found increased firing rates linked to the delay phase of working memory task in previous studies of pigeon research. In chickens, the NCL has been implicated to play a role in imprinting, which is important and a robust learning mechanism that facilitates social attachment. And this occurs during a sensitive period. With zebrafinch, the data on cognitive capacities is unfortunately scarce, um, since the main focus, again, is on the song systems. But from the current literature, or the current study, they know that the NCM is a well-defined higher-order auditory area that selectively responds to behaviorally relevant songs as opposed to simple tones. And that's why when we think of the songbird world, these complex repertoires and large repertoire sizes, um, whether it's for kin recognition or alarm signaling, or even when it comes to mimicry, which is another fascinating feature of song development, being able to create unique bandwidths and frequencies and intros and all of that um, is really important. And so looking at these different regions, they're able to kind of apply what is most important and how these adaptations have occurred from the pigeon or from the chicken. And then with the carrion crow, mostly what is known is the single unit recordings that target the area of the NCL, but they've also found that neurons in the part of the NCL encode cross-modal associations and visual or spatial working memory. And there's also a small body of evidence that um, suggests that complex associative mechanisms facilitating goal-directed behavior are identified as NCL, much like the current analysis. And since we're looking at kind of higher functioning in the carrion crows, since they're being compared to chimpanzee cognitive functioning, it's really crucial to understand how the dopaminergic pathways are functioning in this region. So the evolutionary, evolutionary changes that they found, relating back to our bigger picture of brain evolution, the caudal telencephalon of songbirds is strikingly differently organized in comparison to pigeons and chickens, and they suggest that the reorganization occurred with the rise of passer forms, um, which is why it would be unique to songbirds. The first known rotational axis hypothesis, was, which postulates that the caudal forebrain rotated such that the medial lateral axis shifted into an anterior posterior axis. They introduced a second hypothesis, which suggests that the arcopallium in passer forms appears more medial due to the presence of additional nedopallial territory lateral to the acropallium. So, to conclude from this, and from this overall analysis, they uh, found that the PFC 
in mammals is not a uniform structure, which is understood when comparing uh, rats and mice to primates. And this is the same for the NCL region in birds. It cannot be a one-size-fits-all, but more a species-specific approach. They wanted to also note that the parallels in mental uh, faculties of crows is considered behaviorally on par with chimpanzees. And so the findings of this study disclose another instance of remarkable convergent evolution of the executive structures in mammals and birds. Which I thought was the perfect ending note for this episode because not only did we look at brain evolution, we also looked at how um, species-specific understandings of regions applied to behavior occur and then brought it back out to a bigger idea of convergent evolution and how when we're looking at higher functioning brain regions present in birds how they're so similar to the higher cognitive functioning brain regions that are significant for humans or mammals alike. So with that, I will be ending this episode of Research Recap, and I look forward to talking in the next one.